how many designers does it take to change a light bulb? Hmm. A hundred different perspectives on how to how to change the light bulb or what kind of light bulb it should be. So the designer says, does it have to be a light bulb? Because I have other ideas. Badoom! Hello, and welcome to the Startup Stack. I'm your host, Lewis Barrel. Designers, they're a special breed. Sleek, neurotic, obsessive. We wouldn't have products without them. And yet, so often, they're enigmas. For example, Rocketplace's head of design is obsessed with jean cutoffs. Shorts, that is. Are all designers this way? Enter Anthony Armendariz, a designer turned founder. Anthony's company Fundsize creates design solutions at scale for big established brands like Volvo, PayPal, Groupon, and many more. His team of 25 designers embed themselves within a company's product and design teams, effectively creating a bridge between the traditional agency experience and hiring in-house. It's a new model, and Anthony thinks it's going to stick. We talk about that, cut off jeans, and much more in this week's podcast. I would really love to know how Fun Size came to be. I know you were living in New York, and you left New York to go to Austin, and you started Fun Size. And I'd love to hear about the beginning of that journey. Well, I'll, I'll try not to bore you with the details, but I've been a designer for about 23 years. And I've spent um, most of that time being self-employed. Fun Size is the second agency that I've owned, um, but the rest of it has been a lot of a lot of independent consulting. So when I moved to Austin, I took a job at Evernote to go in-house for the first time. First time I'd ever been in an in-house uh, design role at a tech company. I just had a you know I think it's something that like I was seeing all of my peers and contemporaries like sell their businesses to companies like Twitter and Facebook and go in-house. Mm-hmm. That was really when. You know, around, you know, 2009, 2010, people were really investing in in-house design teams. And I, yeah. I thought, well, okay, I guess that's what I should do. That's the next rung on the ladder for me. When I got in-house, I realized, oh, I actually learned a lot about how you should build products that's different than the old agency model that I was accustomed to. But I also realized that I was an agency person. I went through a lot of depression to figure out like why I was unhappy, but I just realized, okay, I love product. Uh, love agency. I got to, I got to get back to doing that. So I went pennant. My wife is my rock. It's really awesome. You know, she said, give it six months. And if it fails, go get another job. Like what's the worst that could happen? You've done this before. Give it six months. I'll cover our expenses. And I was like, okay, then let's do it. So I did that. And to a point where I had um, the very first employee at fun size was a guy named Neil Barrett, who is a guy I grew up with. And he was not an experienced designer. He was a, like a, an apprentice, if you will. Like he would come over mm-hmm. to our house and we would do, we'd work on the kitchen table. But it got to a point where there's so much work that I was turning down and I couldn't do it all on my own. So I went to my wife and I said, hey, she was interviewing at other uh, companies because she was remote working and alone. Mm-hmm. I said, hey, look, how about instead of taking that other job, like how about you give it six months with me and let's see if we can accomplish our dreams both in work and finances by working together. So at the moment where she said she was joining, that's when we registered the the company. And I, we had a long list of names, potential names for the company. And she said, well, I'm only going to do it if it's called Fun Size. And so Fun Size was the name of the company. And tell me at the beginning, it sounded like you were getting work. You were very busy. How are you finding those first clients? Well, I think number one, you know, in the way that I work, I've always approached work with the relationship first perspective, because I know that the people that are likely to hire you tomorrow are the people you're working with today. You know, I've 
I made it that's, a point. That's a great line. It's something yeah. we should all remember. You know, and this community is really small, right? So if you don't do good work for someone or if you don't treat them the right way, whether it's, it could even be a junior designer, that junior designer is going to hire you for a project sometime. I've always just had it ingrained to me to spend a lot of time developing those relationships constantly talking to people on LinkedIn, Twitter, old colleagues. like, yep. And so I was just really lucky. You know, when I went out on my own, I had a Rolodex. Finding business has never really been that hard for me because I, I have the relationships that I need previous and now, and I just cultivate them constantly. Uh, what I think what most people don't understand is how much time that actually takes. A lot of designers that I know, they're like, oh, I'm going to start my own business. I don't think they realize that they will are likely to spend somewhere between 10 and 50% of their actual day doing uh, relationship development and sales. Well, so it sounds like relationships, finding new business, that was one of the easier things for you in starting fund size. What were some of the more challenging things? Uh, some of the more challenging things were like def- defining our own roles. As you might imagine, things change when you go from two people to four people to eight to 16 to 32, which is like where we're at now. And you have to find a way to scaffold and you have to find a way to stay connected to what you love doing but also what the needs of the business are. The biggest challenge for me had really been like, what am I doing and what is my wife doing? Uh, Natalie made it very clear to me, like, look, I will go on this journey with you, but I'm not on a management or management track. I'm going to be a designer. And did you and Natalie have different specialties? Yeah, Natalie is always, we've always had like common product design skill sets, but Natalie's T-shape is definitely visual design. And mine is definitely like UX designer, experience designer, interaction design, whatever you want to call it. Nat, like when we were small, that worked out really well, but we had to find a way to keep scaffolding. And that's difficult. Keeping Natalie happy is like mission number one. Uh, the hardest parts for me were honestly coming to terms with my identity. Am I a designer still? Or am I a salesperson? Am I an owner? Am I a CEO? Like, what am I? And how do I define like who, who I am and, and making sure that I'm fulfilled? And how would you define that today? I very much still identify as a designer, but the the types of design that I do now are different. It's like business design, service design, team building, designing designing operations and systems for our in-house team, ladders, rubrics, things that designers need to be successful. But I haven't designed a digital product in at least three or four years. So let's talk a little bit about FunSize specifically. Maybe you could tell us a little bit more about the services that you offer. You know, I know that FunSize is known for is design at scale. You know, working with some larger companies, you've mentioned, um, I know you've worked with companies like Volvo. You know, you really embed yourselves into the design teams there, which is interesting in contrast to what you were saying before about a lot of the designers you know were going in-house. And you've created an agency that that almost does that a little bit. So tell us a little bit more about FunSize today. The way that we describe this is that like we're a bridge between in-house an agency because we believe that older agency models definitely were broken a long time ago. They don't really work for the way like engineers and product teams need need to work with with design. And so you you kind of have to bring your ideas to the table, but you re- to be really effective, you really need to be adopting the cultures and methods of the people you're working with. But I'm getting too far ahead. Uh, we're a service design and product design agency. We will help companies conceptualize businesses and help them get them to market. And that's what you mean by service design. Yeah. Or we will support and iterate on and work with existing teams that have existing product in the market. And then we help those teams like build future. So we're, we do like very simply, we do experience research, experience strategy, experience design, visual design with a focus on digital services. 
And tell me a little bit more about how, how do you structure the team at Fund Size? Is it based on specialties and you have kind of equal size teams or is it you know, designer generalists? How do you think about creating the right teams to work with all these uh, large clients? In some ways, we have, have it easier than other agencies because almost in our entire team are designers. So we have like 25, we're, we're about a 30 person company, but we have 25 ish designers and then a lots of independent consultants that are pretty much part of our family. Yeah. So we have a lot of designers to pick from, like those are competitors, if you will, like that do design and dev. Usually they're making their revenue on development. So typically most of their staff would be engineers. So we, we have a wide range of designers to think about. So we over-index on designing experiences for the people that work with us. There's certain aspects of this that we think about. Number one, there's no tried, one tried and true way because all these engagements are different. Like some of our accounts, we may have seven plus people working on and other initiatives might be one person. But even before COVID, but especially now post-COVID, we really don't want anyone working alone. So we try to staff things in, in increments of whole designers that are working on projects, plus design leads, which will work behind the scenes to mentor them and augment their skill and help with critique and review and other sort of design rituals and cadences. A design director is usually involved at like 20% capacity. And then you'd have a design manager on top of that at about a 5% capacity to help partner with clients on roadmap strategy planning and making sure that the staffing scenario works. It kind of depends on the perspective of like, if we're, if the mission is like, go design this product and then go take it to market, we have a playbook for that. If it's like augment an existing team, we have a playbook for that. Because if we're augmenting an existing team, we're plugging in designers or different teams of designers into different PMs. One account might have five different work streams and five different PMs and five different design leads. And so it's really not at any level consistent. Um, yeah. And are, are the designers on your team when they're working with companies, are they doing small bits of work and then rolling on and off projects? Or are they staying with, with a particular company for a very long time? In the augmented design kind of work that we do with enterprises, they, they are typically on fairly long rotations. Which would be like how long? Up to a year, I think. And sometimes it could be longer. They might go from being fully engaged to partially engaged and start mentoring someone else is taking their place. Yeah. It's long enough to understand the business, how the business makes money, and how to take accountability for design decisions and work at the same capacity that an in-house designer could. But still, in order to maintain long relationships in that case, we have to rotate because we have to make sure people that are getting the experience that they came to fund size to get. Yeah. I get this question all the time. I've built several teams, digital products, and hiring designers is a big thing. And I, you know, I'm really proud of the design teams that I've been able to build at my various companies. But you know, you've got a huge amount of experience building design teams, hiring designers. You've got a team of 25 today, which is enormous. What, what advice do you have to people out there in hiring designers? I mean, folks are like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, their work looks good. They seem like a good designer. I mean, you know, how do you, how do you really qualify if someone's going to be a good uh, member of your team? Okay, I'll unpack that a little bit. I would say number one advice for business, designers who start businesses, my advice would be really recognize what you're about to embark on because once you start growing, you, you really can't stop. In most cases, it doesn't make sense to stay small. In most cases, it makes sense to grow. It's, it's usually the easiest thing to do. And if you have a culture you're proud of and you want to distribute, like growing is often the, the easiest way and sometimes the smartest way to do that. I wish I'd have known that because 
you can need to negotiate with your your role changing from designer to manager, etc. So uh, with that in mind, like point number two is assuming that you're going to be a manager, then you got to get ego out of the way. You got to you know hire people that are better than you, or that you think could be better than you, or that you want to be better than you. Right? Like you you got to really bring in people that that you want to see grow, and especially if you want to retain them for periods of time, because with the industry the way it is, like. You know, some companies, you know, sometimes designers will jump every year. You don't really want that because if you find those kinds of designers that are going to leave every year, then you're constantly churning and burning, right? Mm-hmm. Find people that'll stay with you for three, four, five, six, seven years and keep them engaged and growing constantly. If you're going to build a design agency as a designer, you have to recognize that you, unless you hire someone to manage your design team, you're not going to be a designer anymore. Hey, do you like our show? I do too. If you want to support the Startup Stack, the best way to do that is by subscribing and rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. Also, send dad jokes, or if you have them, actual good jokes, to podcast at rocketplace.com. Feel free to send us feedback there too. I wanted to ask you a question about if, if you could give advice to clients. So I imagine you know you work with a lot of large companies. They must be thinking... Should I be building a design team in-house? Should I be working with an agency like FunSize? What are the things that they should be thinking about when making those decisions? What are the questions that they should be asking when meeting new agencies, potentially, in in order to evaluate whether or not that's going to be a good fit and meet their goals? Yeah, I think that my personal opinion, but I think it's what we all believe here at FunSize, is that Larger companies that are trying to do work at scale, you you know, you have like two different kinds of companies, right? You have like the Facebooks of the world and the Twitters and the Googles who are always hiring. They they have a fairly mature or very mature design organization, and there's always more work to do than they have the capacity to do, and they are always dealing with a certain amount of predictable churn. Those companies, in our opinion, always need a design partner. Some are more successful at recruiting than others. So I kind of guess it depends on the recruiting, but like not every company is a Google or a Twitter that can just constantly attract people. Yeah. So the other type of company like that is like a hundred year old company, like well, honestly, like a, I don't know, a bank or whatever that like has relied on certain ways to get work done. And now they're like embarking on doing that internally and they have a roadmap to say hire 200 designers over three years. Let's get real. Like look at how competitive the space is. How long will it take to hire 200 really good qualified designers never the answer is never right like the the recruiting will happen constantly right because you'll hire some people then a year or two later some of those will those will leave so we we believe that if you're an enterprise and you think the answer is we're going to do this in-house you're wrong because like you can't you just can't do it all in-house you can i guess you know in our opinion it's not ideal like you need ways of like you know helping to make the whole thing work and that totally makes sense okay so I'm convinced I'm a, I'm a large um, enterprise. We, we don't have a, a big in-house design team. We want to work with agencies. How, how should we go about finding the right agency? I was on a discovery call today. So like, just to give you an idea, like the kinds of questions we're asking are more about the org, right? How is this product team staffed? Who's the PM? What's their skill level? What's their experience level? What's their maturity level? Is there a design lead? Okay, what's their DNA? What's their skill set? Because in those kinds of mode of operation, we're trying to figure out where they are in their design maturity scale, what it'll feel like for our company to work with those people. 
And what are the the biggest challenges they're facing? Is it bottom of the pyramid kind of work or is it top of the pyramid, top of funnel kind of work? Enterprises sh- should be concerned if agencies aren't asking those kinds of questions. What is your org chart? What are your rubrics? What are your design ladders? What's Where are you in the, on the design maturity scale? Do you have a design language system? Will we be using that? Will we be recreating it? Like it's those kinds of questions were very different than like, you know, maybe the or startups. We try to help them determine if they even want to be in that business. We, we will engage with people and we'll facilitate conversations to help entrepreneurs go through the process of understanding the scope of what they're about to embark on and whether or not that's something they want to commit to. And so, you know, sometimes if it progresses into an MVP, we'll help them do that. But it's also a win if we can convince that uh, startup founder that like that they don't really want to be in that business or they really don't want to be constantly dealing with these challenges. And so it's just like completely different conversations that we have. I just think that like where we're at right now, like most of our stuff is like with these enterprise or high growth teams, we are trying to educate teams that external partners are critical. And it's not just about doing the work. It's about helping them create a megaphone. Like we're not a part of our client's organization, but we can help promote their company and help them fill those internal roles. Mm -hmm. We can be a small net, not a vast net, but we can help them build and create excitement and do events and do and do things. We can help be a part of their journey. External agencies can sometimes last, I mean, not all the time, but if it's done right, agencies can last longer than an internal hire. When you're working with clients, meeting clients, what are some of the biggest misconceptions that clients have about what a design agency is and the kind of work you do? This is changing a lot. It was different for us like in our earlier years, but I, I think some of the more common misconceptions is that like des- design would be done in a silo and it would be like in a traditional process and hand- lobbed over, right? It's impossible to embed and work integrated and stuff like that. And some people have seen that. And so now they're starting to, you know, expect that of their, of their vendors while others like really haven't seen that work. It's stuff that you cannot communicate in a case study or a portfolio piece or even convince on a phone call. You have to like see it and feel it. It's softer, right? And a lot of people are scared of like getting involved in scenarios where they're paying for design and there's not enough collaboration or the communication isn't like intertwined. It's not a synchronous. Does the vendor really understand the business and the problems? Because it's true, right? Like a design agency just can't come in and solve a problem, mm-hmm. right? The, the internal stakeholders are the ones with the knowledge. Let's talk about that for a second. Maybe, can you tell us about a project that you're really proud of that fun-sized it, you know, and, and what was it that you accomplished and how did the client come to you and were there misconceptions you needed to dispel? Yeah, I mean, since you mentioned Volvo, I'll give you a Volvo case study because this is something that's launched and that we love can talk to hear. about. And it, it also ties everything back to relationships. There's a gentleman named Thomas Dovacek who uh, we started working with uh, when he was at OpenTable. We worked with OpenTable and then he left OpenTable. And at the time we were working with Facebook. So we tied some dots. We helped him get connected into Facebook Universe. He took a job at Facebook. And, you know, when he's at Facebook, he had a good experience with us. So he called us and we worked with his team at Facebook. And then he left Facebook. And went to Volvo Cars, right when Volvo Cars was starting to do design in-house. And we're embarking in like the first few weeks of having a San Francisco practice. And he called us and said, hey, I, you know, I have, we have some really smart engineers and PMs over here, but they have no design. Our PMs are doing mock-ups in Microsoft Paint, seriously. And we think they need some help. So this was a two-week project. And can you break down just for a second for some of our listeners? When he says they have no design... 
you know, our engineers are doing mock-ups. Give us a give us 10 seconds on design for dummies. What is it that he means is lacking at the organization and what he needs help with? Oh man, in in the nicest way possible, like non-designers making design decisions. People that understood like the the business and the technical aspects really deeply, but did not have the right training to align stakeholders on the vision for a brand or a product. Uh, did not have the experience level to journey to do user research and journey mapping and 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 things like that. Not necessarily that designers save the day, but like really no design capacity at all. And, and I imagine if you don't do that, what happens? I suppose you can launch a product and I suppose it can go to market and I suppose it could be successful, but it may not, and it might be fine, but it also may not be as uh, smooth and, uh, or, or as good or, you know, as collaborative. And I don't know, like, I, that's why I think that like engineers, in my opinion, I'm kind of old school, you know, my career started out like doing front end engineering engineers that can design are in an ideal scenario. Cause you know, without engineering, it's just an idea. This particular team, just really wasn't able to get done what they needed to get done either. They had. Yeah, well, tell me a little bit more about the project. Yeah. So the project was Care by Volvo. Uh, it's an alternative to leasing or buying a vehicle. So it's a car as a service. Lots of work to do there because it's not just product design. It's about how do you, how do you help people that are in the market for a premium vehicle decide that they're going to pay a monthly fee versus buying a vehicle? How do you convince them that they should wait so long to get it? Like there's an educational component of this and there's also a product component of this. But, uh, you know, this is something that's really critical for their um, for their company transformation. And so this, you know, you know, we had to start by proving to them. I love this team. So, Beck, if you're listening to this, I'm saying this with a lot of love. But like (laughs) my my first meeting with this guy named Beck PM was like, hey, um, we set up our shop in San Francisco because that's where the best uh, design talent in the world is at. And my call, my my colleague, I could have murdered him at the time, but he uh-huh. said openly, "Why are you talking to us then?" <laughs> and um, exactly. And the reality is, it's freaking competitive. They had uh, job openings for a long time; they couldn't fill. So we had a lot of trust building to do, right? To to prove that, like, an external design partner could be just as good, or could it be better than hiring internally? What could you get if you hired an agency? Could you tap into the brains of many, many people? Could you maintain the work over many, many, many years versus one or two years? Like, how could you do that with a very, very small little husband and wife owned agency versus like a global consulting company? And, you know, that ultimately ended up into something which has now been a multi-year thing. But I feel like we're a partner and, you know, we're invited into their culture and to their annual and quarterly planning in, in Sweden and they see us as a part of the team. And I think we see them as a part of our team as well. That's awesome. So uh, I want to move a little bit to what, you know, 2020 and what the year's been like at Fun Size. We've had some huge things going on, COVID-19, Black Lives Matter, conversations around diversity and inclusion, a presidential election. I mean, the list goes on. But tell me about the year at Fun Size and where do you see 2021? What's going to stay the same? What's going to change? Uh, honestly, it's hard to even complain because just because it's been a terrible year for a lot of people. Though, in my own conversation with the agency owners, they all pretty much say the same thing: this has been a great year for business. Yeah, we hear we hear that from tons of agencies. They've been busier than ever. Yeah, the biggest things for us this year was like figuring out if we could put our money where our mouth was. If people were 
believing in us that we could do these things that we just talked about, how much are we willing to grow to meet their needs? For those companies that need to hire 20 to 200 designers, like how much can we help actually really help? How much are we willing to grow to do that? How would that impact our culture? And so, you know, we had a, you know, a big theme for this year was figuring out, okay, what's better for culture? Stay small or get bigger? That was like one big thing that we had to like really wrangle, which, you know, for a husband and wife owned business was a really hard thing to like work out. And then the secondary to that is like, okay, well, depending on the direction you go in, like, what do you need to do that? What kinds of, you know, additional people do you need to hire in order to make sure that you have like us, like, three or four discrete practice areas that you you want to have staffed and how can you do that right in order to have like a director at each of those service areas a principal a lead a junior like to make sure that we're actually able to fully fulfill those kind of practice desire to have these different practice areas how, how are we going to do that how we how can we people are, are people safe because when covid first started i mean i'll just be really honest like day two we lost a million dollar contract and of signed work that we were actively working on, not a pause, a complete cancellation. And then all of our startup work evaporated. Every, every startup that we were working with had to stop spending and everyone that we were talking to in pipeline just disappeared. You know, I think we were, in a way we were lucky because some of the companies we were talking to like really needed to get work done in the meantime. And it enabled us to save, you know, jobs at fun size. I was really nervous about jobs at fun size. I was doing everything that I could to totally. like make sure that like we didn't have to let people go. We've never let anyone go. We never want to have to do that. So it, this year's really been about like protecting our our designers but still being really thoughtful about their experience because costs are expensive. Like how do we make sure that two people are working together when money is a concern and uh, how do we, you know, that this gro- question of growth, this question of like, you know, what would we do if all of our important client partners asked us to keep growing to meet their needs. Like it's been the biggest growth year that we've ever had for some companies going from like 15 to 30 in a year is not a lot, but for us, that's a lot. That was a lot for Natalie and I. And are you expecting that same type of growth in 2021? I think so. There's especially where we're at regionally, right? Like even before COVID, like Austin has become and definitely not San Francisco and it's definitely not Seattle in terms of volume, but it's right behind Seattle. But now that COVID has happened and people can work anywhere in the world they want to work, like now flip of a switch, you got Google, all the big companies here in Austin doing product work, which did not exist nine months ago. You know, for maybe some of those companies didn't exist at all before then. And I think that the companies here and I think companies in general have maybe learned some lessons. Like, number one, we should be okay with remote employees, number one. And then if we're going to be okay with remote employees, we should also be, that makes it a little bit easier to hire agencies because they're usually not going to be remote. And so I think that's one of the reasons why overall it's been a great year for agencies because the pandemic kind of solved one of the problems that all freelancers and small agencies have always had is people hire us based on where our offices are at. And I just don't think that really matters anymore anymore or as, as much because of COVID. You know, like I said earlier, like some companies are pandemic aside are just going to continue to grow. But there are a lot of companies that, you know, their hiring plans might, what they thought they were going to do in 2020 and 2021 are a little bit different terms of budgets, hiring plans. So I think those companies are are even more reliant on individual freelancers, small agencies, maybe even big agencies. And so I, I do think it will 
continue to grow that way. I'm hopeful that it will. Uh, just like everything else, you don't want to count your chickens before they hatch, right? It would be too dangerous to assume that uh, it's going to keep going this in this direction. I, I think a lot of people that I know that run agencies are all, we're all kind of solving the same problems. We see where the demand is. A lot of the dollars are coming from in-house teams and, that need augment. Are, there, are the types of projects changing or have they been, you know, this year or are they similar? For us, they've changed. I don't think it has anything to do with COVID though. I think it has to do with, I didn't really realize this till recently, but and it, it makes total sense. We were talking to someone in the procurement team of one of our clients that's a gaming company. And they were like, oh, I'm, I'm really glad that you called me because the last time we touched base was 2017 and you were like 12 people. And yeah, we make decisions on agencies to work with sometimes based on their size. And, you know, like that's, a, that's just a small bit of data, but I, I think it's useful. Like sometimes people will make, they, they will kind of segment their vendors based on some of these predetermined scenarios. Like, oh, these companies are too small for us. These are too big, whatever. I think that things that we've done I, we just think we started to, uh, hopefully, I don't know, I say this in the most humble way. I think we've we've done the work. We've proven that we can holistically serve design leaders and their teams and really mean it and put our money where our mouth is. And I think the word and the brand is spreading. And I think people trust us. And so I think more and more companies are coming to us for month by month, quarter to quarter, like with bigger and bigger problems to solve yeah. than maybe we had in the past where it was maybe more product design, right? Like, I don't know what it's called, but there's like a diagram that I saw a while back and it's like a pyramid. And it's like you, at the bottom, you got product design, then you have service design, then you have business design, then you have like transformational stuff. So yeah, for our early years, all the work we were doing is at the product design level, still important, but in terms of the overall impact of the business at the bottom of the pyramid. So we're seeing that like, we're seeing that the initiatives getting higher and higher up on their importance level to a business at, at, at large. Yeah, that's awesome. Final question. If you could go back and give yourself advice, you know, as you started the fun size journey, what would be the advice that, you know, you give to yourself as an entrepreneur several years ago? What would be the advice you give to the other entrepreneurs out there thinking about starting agencies? Oh, let's see. Uh, number one, outsource accounting and finance on day one. <laughs> yeah. Um, Go to rocketplace.com. You can find outsourced accounting and finance. Yeah. You just, unless you want to be doing that work and not designing, you, you better outsource that. Yeah. That's that's important. And the earlier, earlier you can start a relationship with someone, the more they know about what you've done and how you're growing, the better they can uh, advise you on, on decisions that you need to make to grow. I, that's one. Yeah. Number two, like to my earlier point, I would really try to have some clarity on what your goal is. Are you setting this company up to be acquired or are you setting something up to never be acquired? That might change year to year and that's okay, but have a perspective because that will drive decisions like uh, when people approach you with acquisitions and all that kind of stuff, it, whether you have bring in other partners, like that's an important thing to think about. For us, we're a family business that never wants to sell. We're aggressively independent, so we make decisions with that. An exit strategy is me dying. That's our exit strategy. Me, me, or Natalie dying. My co-founder and I, Ben, used to joke that our only exit is death. Yeah, I am never going to sell this business to anyone for any amount of money because no amount of money is worth having a boss. Well, um, I, I tell entrepreneurs today, I was like, the problem with selling your company is then you're like, then you got to go find a new job. God, I got a job I yeah. like. I don't want to have to find a new job. And. And it's okay if that changes, but that will dr drive the decisions you make and who you work with. I think a lot of agencies are also like, 
having to evolve by investing in startups and all those things impact the the structure of your small business and how you do do things both in client services or in ventures or whatever. And I think that the third one, which is I, I talked a little bit about this earlier, is that you have to either really decide to be small or grow. And the decision that you make on that front will ultimately impact what you do. So that's why I think it's just important to understand that if you're going to create an agency and you're going to take on work, it likely means that even if it's slow, some growth, and you will eventually, you know, maybe you will eventually be me who is no longer designing, but you are really critical to growing designers. And that, that's an important jo- design job too. And some people can, you know, stay in the business and design forever, like my partner, Natalie, but you have to make those decisions. I guess if there's a fourth thing, I would say if you're not if you're not a salesperson and if you don't have a Rolodex, then you either need to wait to start your business until you do have a Rolodex or until you're willing to spend 50% of your time doing sales. You know, you need to have partners like Rocketplace and other places that can help you augment the inbound. Like when you start a business, you need this becomes a machine. We hear this all the time. One of the reasons we started Rocketplace because discovery is a huge problem for both sides. You start a machine, you're going to have to feed that machine forever. And that machine gets hungry and hungry every year. Yeah, You really have to think about that because it's too idealistic to think, oh, I'm just going to be a designer. I'm just going to design and it's going to be as simple as that. That's what we thought and we were wrong. Well, on that note, this has been great, Anthony. Thank you so much for all the time today. Really appreciate uh, the insight, hearing more about fun size. It was really fun. Thank you. Thanks for having me. For more on our conversation today, visit www.rocketplace.com slash podcast. We upload a new episode every week. So if you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to the Startup Stack in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to them. Thanks again for joining us. See you next week. The Startup Stack, written and edited by Hannah Levy, produced by Leah Jackson.